Welcome, everybody, to the Resilient Pastor Podcast. I'm Glenn Packiam, joined by my good friends, Rich Velotis and Sharon Hottie Miller. It's 2024, you guys. Happy New Year. Wow. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, indeed. <laughs> um, so what do you guys do? Do you have any um, New Year's resolutions, any hopes, aspirations, radical plans, Sharon? I, like, literally never do New Year's resolutions. <laughs> I, I actually don't even understand the concept. I kind of, if I'm going to make a change, it can be June. It doesn't have to be January. Hey, look at you. You don't. You're mm. not. A, you're not a prisoner to the calendar. So I'm coming in with a hot take right out of the gate. <laughs> wow. Man. You know, I I I never start my resolutions on January first. I, I do it about five days before, uh, and so that's when I'm really starting mm. to just like. I start exercising December 26th after Christmas and all that there. Um, I actually, you know, for years I have, uh, at least with our congregation and Rosie and I have talked about, a, you know, a rule of life as opposed to our resolution. Mm -hmm. So we've used rule of life language over many years to think about the spiritual commitments, the practices, the relationships, the values that really we want to mark our lives. So it's always a really nice time to look back at the year and then to say, how do we want to order our lives again uh, in this way? So rule of life. Come on, better man. Than resolutions. I, amen to that. Yeah, for about a And Glenn, you have something to say. Glenn, you, you've said some, you've written some things about well, this, Glenn. Come on now. I, well, we've, you know, in a similar way, the last 12 years or so, Holly and I have tried to take a little retreat actually right before new year's so and we're doing that we did that again this this past december we went down the road to just above you know oceanside just near san diego area and and had a couple nights in a, in a, uh, a friend's house very generous kind of um offer there and but what we do is we you know we spend a little bit of time reflecting on the previous year and we do a, a version of the prayer of examine many of our listeners will know what that is where you reflect you think about God's gifts from the past year, you think about the challenges, you repent, you rejoice, you ask for grace. And so, you know, reflecting on the past, but then stage two of our little retreat is discerning the season. And I think it's so important. Sometimes people, we jump ahead to resolutions, but, but everybody's spiritual practice is not meant to be your spiritual practice. And sometimes the season mm -hmm. dictates, you know, calls for something else. So discerning the season, super important. And then the third one is, um, taking an inventory of, of, of your rhythms. And, you know, Rich, you guys do rule of life with like, I think uh, there's a, there's a great, several versions of it. Ken Shigematsu's, Pete Scazzaro's, uh, Steve Machia's. Mm -hmm. uh, we have one that is five areas of life, just five spheres as we kind of, you know, review. Anyway, uh, listen, everybody knows. Get the book, everyone. It's a great book. <laughs> Thank you. Listen, everybody knows that the Resilient Pastor Initiative is uh, this wonderful podcast with my illustrious hosts who, who, um, who do such, such good work on so many levels, but we also have events and webinars and uh, live events. And so the, one of the, one of the cool things that's kicking off actually at the end of January is the resilient pastor cohort. It's a 12 week cohort. We meet every other week on zoom. Rich is going to present. Sharon's going to present Joe Saxton, Ken Shigematsu. Uh, and then there's also time for small groups and you can actually customize your small group. So if you're like, man, me and, and you know, X amount of other friends want to be in this, the small group breakout group together, you can do that. And so that's starting in a few weeks, January 31st, and then it ends with an in-person gathering uh, in April. So, okay. Hey, uh, this combo was the, the three of us sitting down with the godfather, uh, the Barna godfather, <laughs> uh, a.k.a. David Kinnaman, 
David, many people know, you know, is author of, of a number of best-selling books, Faith for Exiles, Good Faith, You Lost Me, and Unchristian. He's also, of course, the CEO of Barna, and uh, and David's a friend. And and actually, all of these initiatives wouldn't exist if not for a conversation that I had with David in 2020, where he reached out and was had this vision for saying, how can we stand with pastors? David's own uh, parents were in pastoral ministry for many years. And so for, for a long time, David has said, we've got to help pastors. And he he wanted pastors to help pastors. And so, uh, you know, David's some of the, some of the conversations we had were around spiritual openness. And this is actually some new work uh, that Barna's been doing about this generation and spiritual openness. And I just thought, let me let me start by asking you guys, you know, what are you seeing now from people who are not in the church? Is it deconstructed Christians? Is it hardened atheists? Or is it spiritually open and curious? Let's start with you, Rich. How, how would you describe uh, what you're, you know, what you're seeing? Uh, in some ways, uh, a mixture of that. But I think in the conversations I'm having in New York City, it's more around, um, you know, there's such a menu of other spiritualities mm -hmm. that are available to people, ones that you can construct on your own, mm -hmm. custom-made uh, spiritualities. Uh, self-guided spiritualities. Uh, plus you have a plethora of um, resources that's available because of the advances of technology. And so, so much of the resistance or the hesitance, uh, for me, it's more about indifference more than resistance. Mm -hmm. It's more like, uh, what does this have to offer me that um, I can't discover on my own? And so that's, I think, in some of the conversations I'm having is not outright mm -hmm. resistance, mm -hmm. but more so I'm doing just fine by myself. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you're definitely right about that. There has been a shift from militant atheism to indifferent agnosticism. Tell me why this care this matters. But I, I, I do sense a shift, particularly maybe even uh, with younger millennials. Maybe it's Gen Z. But the shift of, of, like you said, a variety of plethora of different spiritualities out here in the West Coast. You know, we got psychics and crystals and spiritual guides and everybody offering. You know. Uh, ways to heal you. And, and I think, gosh, the church should be stepping up in this. But Sharon, you're, you're saying, yeah, it's not just spiritual stuff. We, why is the church not the, the ones people go to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just today, I heard a really fascinating quote from Kyle Eidelman. He's a pastor, I think in Kentucky. I think that's right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. He was saying that the challenge that was facing the church 20 years ago was irrelevance. And so that really shaped the way the church was approaching its, its style, essentially. It was, we want to be relevant. And so, you know, this, this was the dawn of the cool pastor and, you know, motorcycles on stage. You know, I'm sure that was like totally you guys. It seems very no, rich, like no. riding in on a motorcycle. <laughs> Um, Rich is cool without motor. Yeah, he's cool without <laughs> motorcycles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just this desire to be relevant, like that language of not your grandmother's church, that kind of a thing. But he mm. said now the challenge facing the church is not that our culture sees the church as irrelevant, but as dangerous. Mm. And so. Mm the way we respond to that now is not by prioritizing relevance, but trust. How do we earn trust? Mm -hmm. 
And that really resonated with me in our particular context. I have not encountered quite as much. We're, we're in an interesting place because we're still in the Bible Belt. And so mm. even though we're in a progressive area, most people have spent some amount of time in church. People are very familiar with church, but they're also very disillusioned with it. And so that's something that we are, are working to restore people to a healthy understanding of church. And there's also, I would say, kind of a cynicism there that we're, we're often dealing with. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what our context looks like. Mm-hmm. Rich, when you think, when you, yeah, that makes sense, Sharon. And, and, you know, just to say, you know, our listeners who are in that Bible belt or, 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 or actually who have been in areas that have been churched and so they're reacting against the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they may be open to spiritual things, but they ain't looking to the church for it because, mm-hmm. you know, they've been burned. Mm-hmm. Um, but there may be another reason why people aren't looking to the church for it. And I, I just wonder this, you know, been, we've been talking about this as a team out here at Rock Harbor, like, is it also because we've been afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit or or the spiritual life? And Rich, you said something to me yeah. about what's happening in your life right now. Yeah, you know, something shifted in my pastoral imagination in the last few years after uh, the pandemic. You know, seeing the level of pain, the level of disruption, the level of uh, disillusionment, discouragement. Uh, death across the board, spiritually, physically, everything there. Um, for me, I got to a point in my pastoral, and I'm continuing to nurture this, uh, to say, I am not going to be ashamed of the Holy Spirit's power to meet people and heal people right where they're at. I, I made an, a shift, I'd say, uh, you know, maybe a few months ago where I, where I consciously said this. I think I believed it already. But I consciously said it outside out loud to myself that every Sunday people are coming into our church who are hurting, doubting, disillusioned, um, in crisis, and they need an encounter with the living God. And so for me, lots of those folks who come to New Life are spiritually open people, people who are not followers of Jesus. And I have conversations with them in the lobby on a regular basis. And so the, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, having a high theology of the Spirit, and whether that's reflected in uh, more charismatic ways or whether that's reflected in more contemplative ways of just stillness and silence, that the radical we have a radical accessibility to the presence of God right here, right now. And I've gotten to a point where I'm not apologizing anymore. It's mm. just like people are in need of deep healing, and I think we have at our disposal— you know, something to bring healing uh, to the world. And so, yeah, I'm stepping into more and more uh, an emphasis on the ministry of the Spirit. You know, there's a metaphor that occurs to me that maybe holds together what both of you are saying. There's a hospital near where I am in Newport Beach called Hogue Hospital. And I went there recently to go visit a friend who's recovering from a surgery. And it is maybe the most beautiful hospital I've ever seen. I mean, you walk in, the lobby is gorgeous. The mm. the place where you go to, it even says in big letters, check in, like as if you're checking into a hotel here, you know, would you like one night or two nights, sir? You know, <laughs> and then, and then, you know, I go up the hallway to go visit my friend and his room has an ocean view. And it so happened that I was in his room at sunset. So I'm talking to him and I go, look out your window. Like the sun is setting. I can see Catalina Island, the waves. I thought, this is unbelievable. And I thought, you know, what if Hogue Hospital, the name of this hospital, what if Hogue Hospital 
a misunderstood its mission in the community. What if they thought, you know what we can offer is we can offer people a retreat. And so you you walk in the doors and they're saying, <laughs> would you like a warm towel? Uh, can we take your bags? Uh, would you like to uh, try our cafe cappuccino bar? You know, what if they, they misunderstood their mission in the community and start to kind of offer something? And you say, no, I, I appreciate all that. But actually what I what I need is medicine. What I need mm. is the thing that I cannot find anywhere else. And I think, Sharon, your point about it's not it's not just relevance right now it's trust right mm-hmm. so if we go all in on relevance like oh let's, let's speak to the felt need but no we need actual people who are trained who mm-hmm. are safe who can care for you but mm-hmm. then what are they providing they're providing the ministry of the power and presence of the holy spirit mm-hmm. i'm gonna yeah. start preaching right now well well now wait a second Gil. now wait a second because you you just offered just like a profound i would steal it here's the problem in new york <laughs> Our hospitals do not have, have any of you like that whatsoever. And so, and it doesn't sound as great as my friend Glenn has a hospital on the West Coast. That's just like amazing. So I hope you preach that one day soon. Oh, you got it, man. Um, I, I can't wait for everyone to listen to our conversation with David. We did this one differently, guys. It was all three of us trying to sit down with David and uh, and turn the tables and ask him questions. And uh, so we're excited for everyone to hear this. And uh, without further ado our conversation with David Kinnaman. Well, here we are for a very, very special conversation with the man himself, David Kinnaman. Welcome to the Resilient Pastor Podcast. Hey, Glenn, how's it going? I feel nervous. I feel like I'm starstruck by being on the podcast with you three. Thank you. The three musketeers, the three yeah, resilient there musketeers. <laughs> there you go. I could catch a good on. candy bar, by the way. Yeah, that's right. I could catch on. Well, David, listen, we've all been so grateful for your work over the years with Barna and then the books that you've written on on uh, all of the ways that we can understand the times that we're living in. And you continue to kind of push into those questions. And one of the things we wanted to talk to you about today is this idea of spiritual openness. Uh, what are some of the trends that Barna Research is showing around spiritual openness? And maybe take a moment and tell us what do you mean by that term, spiritual openness? Well, I think it's fun to present data that actually represents good news. Uh, Sometimes we have a reputation of sort of bad news Barna because (laughs) we, we tell, we tell it like it is. And, uh, and I think we've been a sort of steady at work for nearly 40 years of just describing what we're seeing in the research. And, and there's some, you know, there's some challenging parts of, of Christianity in our culture and Christianity is not dying, but it certainly is changing and there's a lot of decline and a lot of questions. Um, so I'm here today to report, though, there's some really good news. And uh, that is that uh, the vast majority of Americans are spiritually open. Um, we we find that 72% of Americans qualify as either uh, very open or moderately open spiritually. Uh, a lot of, and, and what's really fascinating is even younger generations, um, it's, it's, they're, they're as open or often more open uh, than older generations. Um, about a year ago, we saw that 44% of all American adults said that they were more open to God than they were before the pandemic. Now that's perception, how they describe themselves, but that's nearly half. And most millennials, 60% of millennials and Gen Z said that they were more open today than they were, uh, more open to God today than they were before the pandemic. So I think we have this really like a huge opportunity right now that there is an openness um, to, to God and openness to spirituality and open openness 
uh, to things. It's not just about the pandemic, but there's a sense in which some of our our pretenses and our presuppositions about life have been stripped away a bit. And um, by by spiritual openness, we define that particular term. We don't ask. We we do have some phrases in our research where we ask people, "Are you spiritually open, etc." But in this particular case. We had four different questions that we asked. Uh, I believe it's at least possible that there is a spiritual dimension to life. Uh, people would use the word exploring, open, or curious to describe their spirituality. That's number two. They could use any of those three. Uh, they say they have a positive association with the term spirituality, not a negative one. And they believe that there is a God or a higher power. And it's fascinating because 35%, uh, one in three Americans, say all four of those things. So possible to spiritual life open, exploring, or curious, positive towards spirituality, believe there's a God or higher power, 37% meet at least three of those uh, criteria. So that's where you get 72% of all Americans are either very open or moderately open spiritually. So a huge, a huge opportunity, I think, for us as leaders um, to sort of lean into the spiritually open moment. Man, I, I'm so glad you pulled the curtain back a little bit and kind of said, these are the questions you asked and what that means, because that's really helpful. In in um, the book, The Resilient Pastor, I talked about cracks in the canopy, and that's a ripping off of this image that Jamie Smith used, uses in, uh, I think, How Not to Be Secular, about kind of this age, you know, where there was once an era where the, there was like this domed, you know, closed roof over the football field kind of thing. Now the, the roof is opening and people are kind of saying, hey, what if there is something beyond this? And that seems to be what you're you're getting at, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, it's research is interesting because social research gives us a chance to, to, to listen in on people's thoughts and feelings and perceptions. Again, um, it's very much a, a, a study of what do people perceive? And there's obviously sometimes a gap between their perception and their reality, but there's a lot to tell us about how they are describing themselves. I mean, f for example, there's been a longstanding conversation within social science about do as many Americans attend church each week as report attending church each week. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, there's a gap there. And there's been different people, different methodologies. I mean, there's been uh, you know, obviously you can do telephone interviews and call, did you go to church in the last seven days? Or you could, you know, do online surveys. And there was even methodologies where people would go and count the number of cars in different parking lots and oh churches my. on weekends yeah. and, you know, extrapolate the, the average number of, uh, you know, fa family units, uh, per, 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 you know, family members per, per car. Vehicle, yeah. And, and it was sort of like, <laughs> my word, people are going to extreme lengths <laughs> or that, you know, the geofencing, like how many people's cell phones actually showed up on church <laughs> oh campuses on a, on a given weekend. So um, it's interesting, I think, to see, sort of see the sort of science of perception versus reality. But part of what that tells us is, you know, that despite some of the ways you might predict the slow, inexorable march towards secularism, that things don't always go exactly as predicted. And uh, again, there are, people are open to anything and everything. That's part of the downside and the real caution, we should say. Uh, but as we interviewed teenagers, for example, about two years ago, we, we interviewed nearly 25,000 teenagers around the world. We had the intent to call it the Global Teen Report. <laughs> uh, but instead, as we as we started to hear and listen and look at the data, uh, we described that as the, the, the open generation because there were so many signs globally of teenagers being open, open to a lot of things, open to questions on gender, open to questions on life and death and, and, you know, global corruption and climate change open on spirituality. Um, they're open to a lot of things. And I think it then becomes the responsibility of the church to help 
provide people, you know, as Jesus uses the metaphor, let's build our, build our houses on, on the rock, on the scripture, on Jesus himself, on, you know, an open moment allows us to close our ideas or close our minds around something solid. Yeah. And, um, the Chesterton and quote, isn't it? Yeah. The point. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And along those lines, you know, uh, David, the Barnett team has been doing some research around opportunities, um, uh, to build connection with people who are spiritually open and that understanding and sharing spiritual backstories provide an entry point into conversation. This is really pertinent for me because as a pastor in 2024, we're going to be going through a series on evangelism and mission. And uh, I'm hearing some really encouraging statistics around helping people to take that step in having and cultivating spiritual conversations with people through their own backstories. What, what trends are you seeing just in the data around spiritual backstories as a means of entering into some really helpful conversations around faith and spirituality? Yeah, thanks, Rich. I think uh, the concept of a backstory is a really fun one for us as uh, ministry leaders to, to do some sort of imaginative and sort of strategic work. Um, Everyone has a backstory. Uh, the power of a backstory in literature or art is that you want to understand where the hero or where the villain comes from. Uh, you know, uh, Tolkien in his creation of Middle Earth uh, actually created p poems and art and architecture and sort of whole civilizations before he set the story against it. And he had the intent to sort of create a backstory so that the, the stories would feel even more real. And um, And so I think my encouragement to you as leaders uh, is that everyone has a, a really profound story to tell. And um, I have a couple different ways I want to kind of get into this with, with you in a conversation here in the next couple of minutes. But we find in the research that 71% of, of adults say they're comfortable telling their story, that they actually, that their, their faith story is important to them. Um, and 51% say that they're enjoy when others ask about their faith story. Now, the flip side is that some people, the, the least spiritually oriented are actually not very comfortable with the idea of a faith story or how their, their, their story spiritually works. So some real kind of rudimentary work I think we can do is to help people get comfortable with their story, their faith story. And what does it mean to have a faith story? Um, so, you know, whether we're trying to convert someone to Christianity or, you know, help them see the light of the gospel, um, helping people get more comfortable that, that their story has a spiritual dimension is I think a really good starting place for us. Um, but I also want to suggest that two things. One, I want to encourage us as Christian communities to become even better at helping people to be known and seen and helping them to unpack their own story, their own backstory, the trauma of their backstory, uh, especially so that Jesus can heal them, uh, the Holy Spirit can come in and heal them. I think it's such a sacred honor as a social researcher to hear from tens of thousands of people every year uh, who, in the anonymity of a survey, will tell us that they're lonely, or they're struggling with pornography, or they're divorced, or they wish they had more friends, or or that they're excited about the future. I, I think it's so fascinating that people are willing to be so open and honest uh, to, you know, to share their opinions in social research. It's actually, it's good for business, for our business, but people love to share their stories. I think the church should be even better at helping people to tell their stories, to be comfortable with the language of their backstory, 
to help people sort of scrape back the trauma that they've experienced. And um, you could almost just imagine because of this work that we do. I mean, I come at this work with a real pastoral heart. My dad, one of my heroes, Gary Kinnaman is a, you know, lifelong pastor. And I think I would have been a pastor if I wasn't a social researcher. So I think of the pastoral dimensions of the people who we interview. And um, I, I think about, you know, someone who said, if you only knew, if you only understood, if you could only see me as a five-year-old who lived in the home with a, a, an, a rage-fueled parent, if you could only understand what it was like to be a woman who was sort of sexually abused, if you could only see, uh, you know, me as a young man who had issues with, with money or who, who had, you know, struggles with whatever top, whatever topic. And so can we become a place where people really feel seen and known the safety the, the grace and truth that uh, exudes from, you know, the Christian community. And I'll just add one more point to this, that, you know, we're living in an era of, of algorithms and personalization where the algorithms seem to know us better than we know ourselves. And so part of the antidote to that, um, you, you know, is to create communities where we actually see and know people, you know, better than they could know themselves through the power of the Holy Spirit in community. And so that is, I think, some of the challenge that we have. If we're being honest, a lot of our ministries try to mass produce disciples. And uh, there's been a long theme for us in our research is that, you know, discipleship isn't working because people aren't able to really tell their story. They, they don't have the the capacity to be seen and known. A young sort of scientifically minded student sort of doesn't have any concept that that following Jesus might actually make them a better engineer. A young philosophically oriented uh, young person goes to youth group and hears a lot of pretty simplistic sermons or talks and just like don't have sex and just love Jesus. And they're like, well, I don't know. I, I think I could hang with something deeper than this. And so the, you know, the era of personalization requires more of the church. And we actually have we have something much more to offer than the algorithms. So those are, those are a few thoughts about the power of backstory today. We'll get back to our conversation in just a second, but first I want to take a moment and acknowledge some of our incredible partners on this Resilient Pastor initiative. First, I want to thank World Vision. The Resilient Pastor video series produced by Barna Group in partnership with World Vision brings together renowned thought leaders and seasoned pastors who share their insights, experiences, and practical wisdom to help pastors and church leaders navigate the challenges they face and build resilience in their calling. Hosted by Krish Kandaya, the Resilient Pastor video series features exclusive interviews with Carrie Newhoff, Daniel Mavengi, along with special presentations by myself, uh, Rich Velotis, and Sharon Hadi Miller. And you can visit worldvision.org slash Barna2024 to get access to these today. I also want to thank Brotherhood Mutual. Brotherhood Mutual is a leading national provider of ministry-focused insurance and services. Headquartered in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Brotherhood Mutual has a heart for serving the church and keeping ministries thriving. For more information, visit brotherhoodmutual.com. And now back to our conversation. David, I'm curious, what is a meaningful difference between a backstory and a testimony? It's a great question. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because that's a, <laughs> a, a, a new a new differentiation for me. But I will say that helping people to understand, you know, the, the people that have made them, the places that have made them, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's incredible 
number of, of resources in, in our environment, in our economy that can help a person know who they are, an Enneagram, a Myers-Briggs, a Strengths Finder, a tool that Barna has, has been a partner with called a True Center. Uh, and, and I actually think Christian communities could be really good at helping people to know, you know, the most important things about you, where you're from, who your parents were, what era of time you're born into, uh, you know, kind of your, your socioeconomic status, you know, your gifts and spiritual gifts and capabilities. They're all gifts from God. God has chosen so many of the most important things about you. That all feels like part of your backstory. This, this, you know, mm -hmm. the Psalm 139, you know, and then, you know, a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And then I think that uh, the testimony comes as we sort of see and are able to articulate God's work in that story and are able to even look back, you know, there, my, my daughter, Emily is a, uh, is a biology. She, she's working in a lab in, in the Bay area on Alzheimer's research. And so she's even telling me like the chemistry, the biochemistry of the brain is that when we remember something, the chemicals change. So we, we, you know, there's a biochemistry aspect. There's a spiritual aspect to like going back and saying, this happened to me, but it wasn't for, you know, it wasn't for not God doesn't waste our suffering. And so I think those are some of the places of testimony that could intersect uh, mm -hmm. our backstories. Yeah. When I first heard the term backstory at first, I was like, this is just Barna's like trendy rebranding of <laughs> the testimony. <laughs> but honestly, I think there is a difference. Like I think especially, and I think that difference is important. And even if you were rebranding it, I think that could be warranted because I think there is some cynicism around the idea of testimony. Like I think it, has been treated as sort of this formula that you need to, you know, pull out of your back pocket whenever you encounter a non-Christian and, you know, share this story with them. And so I think like rethinking it in a more holistic, this is my story, you know, that, that isn't like a really clear cut, like for most of us, our backstories are complex and, and nuanced. And I think we are in a moment where people want complexity. They want nuance. Like that reflects their actual lived experience. And so I think that's really helpful. Right. But that leads to another question. I'm just going to be the asker of the hard questions for you. <laughs> so good. Uh, my other question is, you know, on the one hand, we have this, this encouraging data that more people are spiritually open but on the other hand, I don't know if you have visited social media anytime recently, <laughs> um, but you know there, we're in this this reckoning moment where a lot of people are deconstructing their faith, and a lot of people who have that faith backstory are leaving the church. And so I was wondering if you could speak to any influences on folks with the the Christian backstory, the faith backstory, what is propelling them away. Well, you've hit on an important theme, which we've sort of alluded to at the beginning of the the, uh, the interview, the the conversation, which is that even in the midst of real openness, there is some you know d discouraging, challenging trends, and one of them is the decline of uh, religious affiliation, and as you described, sort of the deconstruction, the word that sort of the word of the day, and nearly half of all Americans say they are deconstructing their faith of, of their, their childhood at some some level. About half? a quarter say that is strongly true. Yeah. So so I do think that, it, that there's probably two ways to look at this, that it's there's the coupling of openness with a real sense of like 
why do we keep doing it this way? Or why, what is this really true? And that's a lot of the stories we intersect as we interview people who've had a loss of faith or who are deconstructing is, um, it's not always about a lack of personalization, but it is sometimes around this notion that the church didn't see or hear who they were or what they, what they were made to do in the world. Um, and, you know, sort of disillusionment with Christian leaders, sort of, we have to be honest, there is sort of a, a business of ministry. There's a reason why there are institutions. God intends for the sort of a Levitical tribe of priests, but he also says this, that we can get, get, you know, uh, sort of off the track. And so I think there's a, there is a really important reckoning, which is part of the backstory that has to be excavated for us as we say, Hey, these are the kinds of things we have to actually prepare people, I think, for more disillusionment in their discipleship, which is, you know, how do you actually tell the truest story about what it will look like to be a part of the Christian community so that young people, when, not if they encounter disappointment, disillusionment, uh, the, the larger questions that come through, you know, the gospel according to YouTube, that they're not, they're not pushed off their center by, by so doing. So I think those are some good questions, but I, I, one really positive finding in the midst of that kind of sobering analysis is that when we look at the most resilient disciples, which represents only about 9% of all U.S. adults who believe in the authority of scripture, who believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, who are active members of a local church, uh, who want their faith to matter out in the world or take steps to sort of be salt and light in the world. Um, we asked, what is the most important part of your faith story? What could we, what could we know about what sort of formed you? And again, these are perceptions, so we don't know. It's not ca causal. It doesn't People don't always know how to uh, how to describe it, but we gave people like more than a hundred different things to pick from, and among the top two was that I experienced answered prayer, and number two, I experienced a song, strong sense that God was real, and and uh, my family prayed together was number three, um, and for those who are prodigals and ex Christians and those who who sort of we call another group called nomads, people that say they're Christian but they're not very active. Their top factors were, were depression. I, I experienced a significant loss or grief, the unexpected death of a close loved one. Way down the list was the idea that God was real or answered prayer. So this, this you know, other real kind of aha moment for me was that part of our efforts in helping people to, to tell their story, to, to have a powerful testimony, to excavate their backstory yeah. is really to invite the Holy Spirit into, yeah. Yeah. into that and to help people sort of hear and respond to the voice of God to, to sort of reimagining, retelling their story in a different way. Um, it is the most common prayer that I pray for my kids, uh, having worked in this, this study on resilient discipleship and, um, and then this, this finding that's just so incontrovertible that I ask God to speak to my kids in a way that they can hear and understand that he would, they would experience him. Um, and, and that I think is some of the prayers, some of the, the tools, the pathways we could provide for people in our communities is not just to do the work for them, but that God would show up and meet them um, in a very real tangible way that we, we, we teach people to pray. We teach people to talk to God and expect him to show up in a meaningful way in their lives. 
Dude, I love that so much because it connects with kind of that spiritual openness idea and 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 the sense that the, you know the cracks in the canopy mean that for Christians, for pastors, for church leaders, this is not the moment to shy away from the aspects of our faith system that go beyond the cognitive, that go beyond the sort of therapeutic, and and all those elements are are important. And I think we're learning better than ever before to integrate, you know, what we've learned from emotional health, mental health, physical health, you know, relational health, and this sort of extra component of of God kind of breaking through. And in a way, David, I'm hearing you pull together two threads that are right there in the Emmaus Road story, Luke 24, uh, the hospitality idea, this notion of being able, Jesus being able to join people on the journey, you know, mm. um, and then and then the, the but the end of the story where Jesus does this thing where as he's breaking the bread, they have this existential moment, they have this experiential kind of moment where they go, wait a minute, did not our hearts burn within us? when he was explaining the scriptures and breaking the bread, something more than uh, could be explained was going on, this sort of experience with God. I want to kind of just ask you here now, practically, as you talk to pastors and church leaders, how do we create that kind of space to hear stories uh, of people who are in the church? And and maybe what are some of the barriers? What do you think that could look like? Well, I think it could be uh, kind of a maybe as high as a philosophy of ministry that we are a community where we want to know and see people and that that through the 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 grace you know offered through jesus we become new and different people that we are a storied community that helps people to restory their Mm -hmm. their lives in light of the gospel um so if uh you've experienced the darkest of dark nights you know, Jesus hasn't left you there. Uh, if you are the rich or young ruler, you know, Jesus hasn't left you there. Um, and so I think it could go from, you know, our, our public preaching and worship where we actually have more lay people tell their stories and we work on sort of demonstrating how to tell a really good testimony. Cause again, I think testimony is part of the, the work of, of helping people to tell their backstory. Uh, Romans, uh, sorry, excuse me, Revelation 12, 11 says that we overcome uh, by the the power of the blood, uh, the blood of the lamb and the power of the testimony, the word of the testimony of the saints. And I think there is actually spiritual power. And just as a quick side note, there is a lot of evidence in the deconstruction data that people are, um, they're cynical about having been marketed to. They They look back on their conversion story and they'll say, I was emotionally manipulated to become a Christian mm-hmm. or the, the chord progression was just right. The, you know, the lights were turned down and they look back and they re-remember their conversion story. And they say, I don't know if this mm. was right. Uh, there's a huge thing on social media, Sharon, I'm not sure if you've ever been on social media, but you <laughs> might see there's about Christian, Christian schools and like people look going back and like, Hey, did, did, did my Christian school teacher really tell me that the earth was 6,000 years old? You know, and like the the whole deconstruction of like what the eco, the ecosystem of Christian education, and it, it harkens back to you know our adversary in the in the garden. Did God really say? Yeah. And so there is a lot of that deconstruction yeah. where it's like, is that really true? Yeah. And I think that's there's something purely evil in that. I want to just call that out. It's not just like people are um, like, well, this doesn't seem right. But it's like, no, there's actually our, the enemy of our souls comes to say, is that really? Did those people really love you? Did they really think that you mattered? And so there is this deep spiritual wedge that's placed in a root of bitterness that defiles many, as scripture says. So we have to like keep doing spiritual work. So helping people tell their story and to realize then, friends, as paid professionals in the church, we will always be perceived 
by a watching world as somehow conflicted because this we're in the business to do this work. That's okay. I'm not suggesting somehow we start giving money back to the church and become volunteer pastors, but it means we have the power of the testimony of other people who've also been changed by this message. And we have to find better ways of telling those stories. And I think even then on a practical level, like in youth ministry, children's ministry, um, college ministry, becoming really proficient at using these spiritual gifts inventories and other personality assessments to help people create a composite picture of their, of their personality, their gifts, their calling in the world. And, and that is another way of understanding a backstory is because then you actually um, have a way of becoming a community where people can say, oh, I actually attribute that knowledge of myself to the Christian community who helped me to know myself better. So those are those are, I think, some of the themes. That's so interesting, the idea of restoring, that it can go either way, that like you can restore it in a way where you see Jesus in your story where maybe you didn't, but you can also restore it in a way that explains away like true things that you experience. I find that very yeah. personally convicting. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> and I think the algorithms, such as they are, and the persuasive way in which these exact some of the testimonies you might see so, so quote unquote testimonies in in you know social media they they actually have a kind of they're they're, they're kind of anti-testimonies mm. because they're actually helping people say you know if you experience something like this you know you might have been part of the you know the christian industrial complex and that's you know you can you can see why you really you know, why you were harmed, spiritually abused in this. And again, there's a good reckoning for us as leaders because Jesus says, it'd be better for you to get cast into the sea as a leader than to mislead or, or take someone astray. But there's also the enemy of our souls who tries to, I think, uh, take us to a, uh, you know, to a place of heresy, to a place of deconversion, uh, to like, did God really say that, you know, you could be transformed? Like, this all just feels like a bunch of bunk. Man, that's so good. David, as we come in for a landing here, any closing thoughts that you want to offer us? Well, like I said, uh, it's been so good, good to see you guys. And thank you so much for being a part of um, this this effort called The Resilient Pastor. I mean, our heart at Barna, and speaking for Joe Jensen and Lauren Peterson, who are just heroes behind the scenes on this project, and many others on our team, you know, our heart behind Resilient Pastor uh, initiative is to be uh, really a catalyst for leaders to, 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 to know themselves better, to actually think about their own stories, their own places of hurt, and to keep letting Jesus shine a light into those uh, hard places of our life so that we can be uh, even more fully uh, on mission with him. So uh, I want to thank you guys, Rich, Glenn, Sharon. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey with uh, the, the crew here at Barna. And uh, for, for those listeners who've been joining uh, this podcast along the way, I want to thank you for being a part of that and for allowing us to have some uh, deeper conversations, a safe place for a more, uh, you know, kind of hard look at some of these things. And again, th thanks to you three for really uh, shepherding that along the way. And, and uh, again, just my, my gratitude goes very deep to all three of you. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. It's been a gift. It's a privilege, David. And I think it'd be really great here if you would just pray over our listeners. You know, so many of the people who are listening, uh, I, I think, you know, if they're like us, they're thinking, wow, this is this is amazing. This is encouraging. And and we want to be able to, you know, I, I the, the thought occurred to me too, David, you know, like as you're talking about uh, this spiritually open kind of moment and the storytelling moment, 
that our first our first impulse maybe is to go to some new program or technique or method. And I really think what I hear in the spirit of what you're saying, David, is it's not necessarily about a new program or a new method or new, but there is a new posture where we're meant to sort of embrace. And it's a posture of curiosity. It's a posture of listening. And I keep thinking about that Luke 24 thing, because Jesus asks them a question, what things, you know, have happened as if he didn't know, you know, uh, what are you sad about, you know, and he does share and restory the thing. He reinterprets the story of the Old Testament with the suffering God, which again is another, it's another remarkable thing. Um, you know, in, in the midst of this, and I was thinking, sharing your question, uh, testimony versus story, maybe a testimony is a story with a happy ending. Um, and, and, and our patience in curiosity with other people's stories is permission to, to be where they are in the midst of that, uh, Jesus joining them in their journey. So I, but I think that's really difficult work. It's nuanced work. And I would just love David, if you'd pray over all of our listeners to say, Lord, help us do this well. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Again, thanks, friends, for being a part of this. So let's pray. Lord, thanks for uh, uh, these these really wonderful human beings and their their gifts and how they've uh, so so freely given them uh, to your people. Um, thank you for Glenn. Thank you for Rich. Thank you for Sharon. Thank you for their families. Pray your blessing uh, in their lives. And Lord, I ask now for uh, those who are listening who've been on this journey, uh, even just for these. 30 or so minutes, but those who've been on the journey with this podcast, uh, Lord, that as we, as we find ourselves in cars or uh, commuting or uh, bike riding or running or just sitting, enjoying uh, coffee or whatever it may be, Lord, we, we quiet ourselves. We think about our own stories, the people who have made us, the places we come from, the incredible gifts you've put in us. We ask you, Lord, to give us a fresh vision of how it is you've you've purposed us for life in the world that you don't need us to do, go accomplish big things, but that we want to build our lives on you on the solid rock. And uh, Lord, we ask you to come um, even in the minutes here and maybe in the, the days to come that you would help us to um, do some work of, of, of restoring some of these places of pain, of hurt, of disappointment, of loss, of grief, of ambition turned awry. Um, Lord, we want, we want to be transformed um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, renewed by the renewing of our minds. And uh, Lord, we, we really truly rest that, that these words, these ancient words of scripture are changing us into new and better people. And we do all that because it, it brings glory to you. So Lord, I thank you for this, uh, this, this effort to, to become the kind of resilient leaders you're asking us to be. And uh, we ask you, God, uh, to, to gently, but, but truthfully bring us to a new revelation of you in all of this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I love when we get to talk to the OG himself, David Kinneman, president of Barna Group. What a great convo that was. And uh, listen, we're just so grateful for the, this whole initiative, the Resilient Pastor Initiative, is possible because of some amazing partners. And so I want to mention again World Vision. Uh, they created a resource that was produced by Barna Group uh, called the Resilient Pastor Video Series. And it includes exclusive interviews with renowned thought leaders uh, like Rich Velotas, Sharon Hottie Miller, myself, several others, uh, that is designed to equip you for the ministry challenges you're facing today. So go to worldvision.org slash Barna 2024 to get it.
Uh, and we also want to thank Brotherhood Mutual. Brotherhood Mutual is a leading national provider of ministry-focused insurance and services. Um, out of their headquarters in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Brotherhood Mutual serves the church and helps keep ministries thriving. So for more information, visit brotherhoodmutual.com. Friends, thank you for joining us to another for another season of the Resilient Pastor podcast. Uh, we're praying for you. We're rooting for you. We're in it with you. Uh, please do like, subscribe, share, follow, uh, help others uh, find the same encouragement and, and renewal and equipping uh, that you're discovering here on this podcast. May God bless you today.